Well, I usually bring my phone up here so I can keep up with the time, but I don't see my phone, so you should be afraid. <laughs> All right. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 15, and let's read the first four verses. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, again, I want to I ask you before we start looking at a reminder of what the gospel is, which is what Paul gave to these brothers and sisters in Corinth. Father, I would ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I have good news to report to you today. We had more than double the number of folks at prayer meeting this week as we've had the past few weeks. Praise God for that. That is a good start, but let's continue to build on that, okay? That's not a one-time thing. We need to continue to build on the momentum that we got last week. We're going to meet together on Wednesdays and pray for revival here at West Laurel until God grants it or we die or we close the doors. One of those things is going to happen. We're going to pray for God to bring revival here until he does that. I thank God for your response. Now let's build on what we did last week, okay? Don't do a one and done. Come on back and bring a friend. Please be here this Wednesday if you possibly can. You know, some of us want revival here. All of us need revival here. Now, unfortunately, there's still some apathy that remains among some of our members. Isn't that weird? I I mean, that's honestly weird to me because if you don't care about what's going on with God's kingdom and God's church, something's wrong. What is it that causes apathy among church members? I think there are a few things that I want to talk about this morning. One is discouragement. You know, we can be around church members who are, are apathetic and it starts to seem like the normal thing. It starts to seem like, well, that's just how it is. You know, if you can't beat them, join them, right? Or maybe you've been discouraged by ineffective programs in the past. And so if we try to do something else, you say, you know, we try these things, they don't work. So this one ain't going to work either. So I'm just going to stay home. I can understand that there have been uh, attempts through the years to do things that didn't work out. But instead of going, oh, well, nothing will work, we try something else, okay? You may think that America in general and our neighborhood specifically have changed from a culture of respect and freedom and, and integrity and individual rights to one in which offense and identity politics are kind of all that's left. If that discourages you, I get it. You know, people don't want to go to church anymore. People don't even want to leave their houses. 
They want to come home from work, lock the door, be left alone, and watch Netflix. That's, that's pretty much what happens these days. I understand all those frustrations because I experience them too. But what else causes apathy? Another thing that causes apathy among church members is sin in that church member's life. Specifically the sin of self-idolatry. Because when we start living for ourselves and our comfort, when we put ourselves on the throne, that requires that we put the things of God and the things of God's church in a secondary position. Because we've elevated our needs and our desires and our comfort to that primary position. Guys, you wouldn't believe some of the excuses that people come up with. Now, I'm never going to take snipe shots from here. You understand what I'm saying? I'm never going to stand at the pulpit and snipe at people. So if, if you happen to be sick last week, I am not talking about you. <laughs> uh, I will take shotguns to the, occasionally, right? But never single in on anybody. Uh, you'll hear people say, you know, I just wasn't feeling well. Now, sometimes people get sick. I understand that. Uh, in the past decade, I've missed two or three Sundays because of sickness. Uh, so you, before you get mad at me now, I know there are exceptions to people that, who have chronic problems. Uh, obviously, our folks that can't be here, I'm not talking about them. We need to pray for them. We need to love them. I need to visit them. I finished my finals last week, so I can catch up on some of my visiting this coming week. Um, so I'm not talking, obviously, about people with chronic conditions that can't show up. But sometimes, you know, a majority of people who skip church because they don't feel well, well, they felt well all the rest of the week and the plague sets in on Sunday. You know what I mean? When you talk to people and you see that they went to work, they went fishing, uh, they went to karaoke, they went out to eat, uh, they had company over, you know, they've done everything in the world during the week and on Saturday. And then on Sunday, all of a sudden, they come down with an illness. Now, that's very possible, unless it happens week after week after week, right? And then you start to get the hint that maybe there's some apathy going on there. Or if you ask someone to come to prayer meeting, uh, the, the worst rejection for a date that a friend of mine got in high school was he asked this girl out, and she said, I can't go because I have to paint my dog's toenails. He took that as a sign that he shouldn't ask again, right? And sometimes we ask people, would you come to prayer meeting on Wednesday? And they say, well, I've got to paint my dog's toenails. Or I've got to take my dog to the groomer. Or I have to go to the bank. Or I have a doctor's appointment. Or I've got to cut the grass. Or I've got to go grocery shopping. Well, it's wonderful that the rest of us have personal assistance to take care of all those things while we come to prayer meeting. Actually, we don't. That's my point. If you want to come to prayer meeting, schedule other things in a different time and come to prayer meeting. Now, I know there are people that work, and I know that sometimes there are doctor's appointments that can't be moved. But in general, come to prayer meeting because you make it important to you. There's a guy that owns a business around here that used to come to this church. And every time I go in there, I ask him, would he come visit us Sunday? And he says every time, no, it's my only day off. In other words, church is useless and not worth my time. I'd rather lay in the bed, right? I could give more examples, but I'm starting to discourage myself, which is something that brings on apathy, so I'll go on to something else. A third thing that sometimes causes apathy is lack of understanding. We just don't know. We're immature believers, and we don't understand that the Great Commission is something that is the responsibility of all of us. 
We don't understand that there are times when, um, you know, the Bible says things like don't forsake assembling together because we never heard that. We don't know. Now, that is a good problem to have because we can fix that problem because we can tell you, no, the, the Bible does say assemble together. The Bible does say love your neighbor in an active way. Uh, we do see from 2 Corinthians 5 that those of us who have been reconciled are to be reconcilers. We can teach that kind of thing. Then the worst one of these conditions that brings on apathy is lostness. And I am talking about church members here. If you're here today and you're one of those people who come on Sunday morning sometimes, but you just refuse to be in a small group, you refuse to come help with the Choices Clinic, you refuse to share your faith or even learn how to share your faith, you don't have time to read your Bible, and you generally just won't do anything other than maybe show up on Sunday morning because you think that that is the minimum required you know, if when the word is being preached, you're bored, so you got to look on your cell phone and play games. You, you see what I'm saying? If this describes you, take just a few minutes this morning and please listen to what the word of God says. Our first point that I want us to see from 1 Corinthians is the gospel must be heard. Now guys, I know you're sitting in here and I know sound waves are going to be hitting your eardrums. But if you're distracted, if, if you're checking Facebook, if you're, if you're zoning out because you say, I've been saved for the past 50 years, zone in with me for a minute so that the gospel can be heard. Verse 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Lostness among church people who attend where the gospel is clearly taught have replaced the gospel with a religious system of one kind or another. The devil would rather send you to hell from that pew than anywhere else. The very best lies are the ones that have some truth in them. They mimic the truth so that they will be easy to swallow. That is why the devil would rather send you to hell from that pew than anywhere else. If you are a good church-attending good neighbor who keeps their grass cut and who doesn't call the cops on everybody and who doesn't peer out the window and and be a busybody and stuff like that. If you are a decent, moral, upstanding person, you are a wonderful representative if you are lost for what the devil wants to do. See, the guy lying in the gutter with a needle in his arm is not necessarily going to attract everybody. There may be people who want to be good Americans. They're patriotic, and because they're American, they love football, baseball, and God, and, you know. So that is a cultural thing, but you may not actually have a relationship with God, but that is a win for Satan because he goes, hey, this is their preferred mode. This is, this, they feel good about themselves. They feel safe, so I am happy for them to be lost and in the church pew. What are the lies that the devil successfully sells to faithful church attenders? The first one portrays Jesus as somewhat of a pathetic figure who just wouldn't be complete without you. Uh, I've heard this gospel. Jesus just loves you and needs you. The first one portrays Jesus as pathetic, and that's not okay. They'll tell you, he loved you so much that he was willing to die in your place because you're so wonderful. Now, you see how that's insidious? He does love you. 
He does love you. And he was willing to die in your place. But the gospel is not necessarily, it's not primarily about you. It's primarily about the son's relationship to the father and his glorifying his father. So if you'll just say a prayer, something about asking him into your heart, which most people don't even know what that means, then your sins will be forgiven. All the past, present, future sins, and you'll be bound for heaven. Now again, what's the problem with this, this easy believism gospel is that there are parts of it that are true. You can't uh, go to heaven apart from Christ. Christ does love his saints and offers them free gift of salvation. Anything that portrays Jesus as kind of sad and needy, though, is not really the gospel. If you are not his, the wrath of the almighty and holy God rests on you. And that's not something we often hear. We, see, we hear God loves everybody, right? God loves you unconditionally. Well, that's not true. <laughs> if you are not his, God's wrath rests on you. How do I know? Well, we all love John 3.16, don't we? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're like, oh, I like that verse. Let's keep reading. It's good. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Ooh, yeah, that's good. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, John is on a roll. This is good stuff. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Uh-oh, but he didn't stop there because he said, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, the easy believism gospel tells you the good part and doesn't tell you about the wrath of God. It tells you about the free gift of salvation, but it doesn't tell you about taking up and bearing your cross. You may say, yeah, but... But that business about being condemned, that's for lost people, and I prayed the prayer. Well, I agree that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8, 1, and it's one of my very favorite verses. The problem is that many of you may have been told to repeat a prayer after me, really mean it, and you'll be saved. Now, is that right? Is that all there is? Just for fun, let's see what Jesus said about how to be saved. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, guys, I hear some silly stuff being talked about when the Bible says, take up your cross. They'll say, my cross is my nagging wife. No, that's your nagging wife. That's not your cross. Your cross is where you die. It's where you give up all that you are in exchange for becoming the slave of somebody else. Okay? Uh, Sometimes I'll hear people say, I'm bearing my cross. It's my, you know... Sciatica. Okay, no, that's sciatica, and that's bad, and I hate that you have it, but it's not your cross, okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about. Or how about Matthew 10, 37 through 39? It says, Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, that doesn't sound like the sad, needy Jesus that's just begging you to come take a handout from him. 
And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever will find his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, does that sound identical to you to pray this prayer after me and really mean it? Now, there may may be a time to say that to somebody, but it's after you've given them all the facts. So you decide if if the normal presentation of the gospel, or better yet, you decide if the one you heard sounds more like that first one or more like what Jesus says. Look with me at Luke 14, 26 through 33. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace." So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The first false religion shuns this kind of thing and says that you can have your old life and your old priorities and your old idol of self. You can have all that and just add some Jesus to it and you'll be okay. I fear that religion has replaced the gospel for some of us in here. Because that religion will lead to apathy. That religion will lead to what is the minimum I can possibly do and still keep my golden ticket to heaven. I pray that if that is the case for you, then you won't let pride stand in the way of genuine conversion today. Do any of you remember that old Burger King jingle that says it takes two hands to handle a Whopper? Does anybody remember that? All right, I get some nods up here. All right, well, that was a good little jingle there. The gospel is like that. Whatever you want to hold on to with your other hand, you have to let it go if you are going to take hold of the gospel. So if there's the old idol of self, you have to let it go to grasp the gospel. If there's some pet sin in your life that you insist on hanging on to, then you won't be able to grasp onto the gospel because it takes both hands. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect, but I am saying that you can't sit there and say, well, I have this one sin that I prefer over Jesus, so Jesus is going to have to deal with that sin. Martin Luther wrote, let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Now the other religion that substitutes for the gospel sometimes is a religion of works. Now guys, I've told you that I have sat down with more than one member of West Laurel Baptist Church for decades, asked them why they would go to heaven, 
And they said, because I've tried to live a good life. Do you understand? I'm not talking about theoretically. I'm talking about people who have sat in these pews year after year after year that told me to my face they would hopefully go to heaven because they've been good. Okay? That is not the gospel. That is a religion of works. Some of you may think that you're good enough to go to heaven because you think that you do more good stuff than bad stuff. Uh, That was my theology as a little kid. I learned that from Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner. The good guys went to heaven when the piano fell on them, and the bad guys went to hell when when the piano fell on them. But that's not the faith that we learn from the Bible. You may also compare yourself to other people uh, and figure you look good compared to them. The problem with both of these is that the standard you're using is irrelevant to God. He doesn't care if you're more moral than your neighbor. He doesn't care if you think you've done more good things than bad things. Now, if you are perfect and sinless, you may be good to go. If not then whatever else you may be just doesn't matter. You may be better than, you may be more moral than me. You may be more moral than your neighbor unless you're forgiven by understanding and placing your faith in the true gospel. It does not matter. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 tells us what the gospel is. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. But let's go back and continue with verse 1 and see our second point, that the gospel must be received. Verse 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. So how is it that you receive the gospel? It is through believing in God, but it's through believing God. Believing in God, a lot of people believe in God. What I'm asking you to do is believe God, okay? We take what Jesus says about repentance and lordship that we just read a few minutes ago, about how you give up everything else. You drop everything else out of both hands and you take the gospel with it. And we combine that with the facts of his death and resurrection that we just read about how he died for our sins, was buried, was raised back to life. And then you look at passages like 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake, he, and that he is talking about God, the Father. For our sake, God the Father made him, and that's talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that... In Him, we might become the righteousness of God. And we see that through faith, we can trade our sin for Christ's righteousness. We trust by faith that Jesus' death counted for me and that His righteousness is now put on my account. That is how we receive the gospel. We believe God. We ask for His forgiveness based on the work of Jesus. And we repent of our sins And really, really make Him the Lord and Master of our life. Now please notice that I didn't say we make Him our buddy whose advice we occasionally follow when the mood strikes us. Right? Jesus called us brothers, which is astonishing. (laughs) But you know, His blood brother, His half-brother, James, 
when he introduces his epistle, what does he say? James, a slave of Christ. So James understood his relationship to Christ. He knew that Jesus was the boss. And he said, I am a bondservant or a slave of Christ. Now here's the rest of verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. We Southern Baptists hold to and cherish the doctrine of the perseverance or the preservation of the saints. Uh, I won't chase that rabbit right now and, and try to make a distinction between the two. It means the same thing. It means once saved, always saved. And we love that. I love that doctrine. It gives me great comfort and confidence. It is faithful to the revelation of Scripture. The downside, though, is that possibly some people think they're saved and therefore think they're secure, even though there is no fruit of salvation evident. If you suffer from apathy, let me, as kindly as I know how, tell you that you may very well not be saved. Now, how do I dare say that? I dare say that because Jesus said this. Read this with me. Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to me. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I do not want him to say that to you. If you were saved by the gospel, then you will stand in the gospel. Your salvation is your position in Christ. If you are in Christ, the Bible says you are saved. That's what being saved means, to be in Christ. The Bible describes this as an ongoing and growing relationship. Look at verse 2 of our text in 1 Corinthians 15 to see what I mean. He's talking about being in Christ, right? Being saved, hearing the gospel. And he says about the gospel, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, does this passage teach that you can lose your salvation? You got to ask yourself those kind of questions when you run across those kind of texts. Don't be scared to see what it says. I don't think that it does teach that. You can believe the facts about the gospel and not trust all that you are, all that you know of yourself to all that you know of God. Those are different things. One is a mental agreement with some facts. The other one is a commitment of all that you are. Mark 4 says, this is a long passage, but stick with me. It's clear and easy to understand. This talks about some guy who went out to sow seeds, and he sowed seeds on different kind of soils. And I want want us to read what happens when these different people hear. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, 
Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Folks, if you have heard the gospel, if you have seen it and not perceived, and heard it but not understood, you know what you can do today? You can turn and be forgiven. Verse 13 says, And he said to them, Do, not under, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? <coughs> the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now that doesn't represent anybody here because we're here, we keep coming. We, we're not one of those folks that they've heard it and then forgot about it and decided it's not important. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Hey guys, I dare say some of us don't know if that's us or not for sure, because we've never faced persecution. If next week you were going to be persecuted if you showed up here, would you show up here? I don't know. We've never been tested in that way. And others are the ones sown among thorns, those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now that, guys, is the most likely scenario for church members who regularly show up on Sunday but basically have apathy about things that go on in the church and don't, don't study their Bible daily, don't have a vibrant, growing relationship with God. Let me read it again. They hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. Remember, our second point was that the gospel has to be accepted. So these are the ones that accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So guys, if you're not in that last category (coughs) where you are bearing fruit, where you are growing, where there's not some event that you look back to long ago as the only proof of your salvation, but you look at today and you say, I have a growing, vital, energized, plugged-in relationship with God. I learn more about what he wants me to do and I correspondingly do more of it. Those are the ones that are producing fruit, okay? Now guys, God gives us symptoms to let us know that something's wrong. If you have the symptoms of apathy, 
you need to wake up and realize that something is very wrong. Please do something about it before it is too late. If you ignore the warning signs of cancer, the worst thing that can happen is you'll die sooner. I don't want you to die sooner. So if you have the warning signs of cancer, go get checked out. But if you ignore the warning signs of apathy regarding God and his church, then the worst thing that can happen is that someday Jesus tells you, depart from me because I never knew you. Make sure of your standing before God. Make sure of it based on scripture, okay? And not your feelings or bad theology that you've heard in the past. Folks, nobody, nobody in the Bible is told if you feel that you were sincere when you prayed to ask Jesus into your heart, then you don't ever have anything to worry about again. Preachers tell you that. The Bible does not tell you that. The Bible says if you are in Christ, then you are going to be growing in Christ. You're going to be becoming more mature in your faith. You're going to love God more, love his church more, and become more committed to the things that he tells you to do. Okay? That's the truth. That's what we read from Scripture. Now, we're going to have an invitation today. And guys, I, if you're here and you're not 100% sure that you're saved, you're going to want to stay in your seat, right? Because you're going to say, I've been going to church with these people for 40 years. I'm not about to get up and go question my salvation. Matter of fact, I shouldn't question my salvation. I've been a member here for 40 years. Don't, okay, don't, don't do that, guys. Instead, say, am I growing? Is there fruit of repentance in my life? If there's not, then maybe I'm saved. I don't know. Maybe I'm just stuck in a rut. But I'm going to go down there. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to walk down there and say, Brother, I don't know where I am, but let's pray about it. and Let's, let's work on it. Let's figure it out. Guys, there's not a single person in here who, if you did that, would go, oh, man, look at them. I thought better of them. They'll rejoice unless they're lost, okay? They'll rejoice that you are checking yourself to see if you're in the faith. That's what the Word tells us to do, guys. Sometimes we get insulted when somebody asks us, are you saved? Don't get insulted. The Bible says check yourself to see if you're in the faith. So we're going to have an invitation, and let's stand, and I want you to reflect, okay, guys? Reflect and say, I know that I'm, I'm in Christ. I'm going to pray for those around me. Or if you say, I don't know, then come see me. And if you don't want to come see me now, come see me after service, all right? This is too important to let go. Now, the reason I'm preaching this is not because I got mad at somebody and I said, you know what? They act like a heathen, I bet they're not even saved. (laughs) I didn't do that. The reason I preach this is that's what Paul said in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15. He's reminding this church of the gospel. And so I took the time to remind you of the gospel.